1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's get right to it. Three big things. The FBI says, oops, we made a mistake. Now, let's, let's start off by trying to be fair about this. In any given day, the FBI receives maybe a hundred different reports of threats. This is nationwide. So it's always going to be this balancing act of what do you investigate, what don't you investigate, how much credibility do you give, because you have a limited amount of resources. So let me put that out at the beginning. Now let us review the bidding. Nicholas Cruz, the person responsible for this incredibly large mass shooting two days ago, was well known to law enforcement authorities. The reports are coming out that the Broward County Sheriff's Office, according to police reports, over the past seven years, had been at his home 39 times. 39 times over the past seven years. Now, the police reports have not been released yet, so you, you don't know exactly why, why, what exactly happened. Was this because of him? Was it because of his adopt, his mother? I mean, you, you don't know that. But the nature of the emergencies included mentally ill person, child slash elderly abuse, domestic disturbance, and missing person. So the cops had been there 39 times over a seven-year period, and my guess is that a large majority of those occasions probably involved him at one for one reason or another. One of his classmates is doing interviews saying, yeah, I mean, the, the cops were, were there almost every week, it seemed. Constant reports, something was not right about him. So you've got multiple cops going to his house on multiple times. You talk to the people at his school, and they all knew this kid was a ticking time bomb. One of his teachers said that administrators had warned staff via email, this is back when he was a student, not to allow him to carry a backpack on campus. So obviously school officials, before he was expelled, knew that he was, or at least were afraid, that he was a potential problem. He was then later unspelled for unspecified discipline problems, but everybody thinks it was because of fighting and things like that. Neighbors said the kid had been seen shooting at backyard chickens and trying to kill squirrels to feed his dog. So animal abuse. Um, Police visited the home frequently. Like we say, we know the Broward County Sheriff's Department was there 39 times over a seven-year period. Um... He had an Instagram and a social media profile that was very, very clear that he was a danger. Um, Photographs of firearms, you've seen some of those, including one showing a gun laser sight pointed at a neighborhood street. Another showed at least a half dozen of weapons laid out on a bed with the caption, um, um, my arsenal. A third appeared to show a dead frog's bloodied body. All right, so this is the background that this guy has. All right, then you also have the YouTube threat. The man in Mississippi gets a a posting under the name of Nicholas Cruz where he describes himself as a professional school shooter. The guy becomes alarmed at this. 
notifies YouTube and notifies the FBI, and the FBI does nothing about it. Does nothing about it. Because if the FBI had begun to an investigation based on this report, they would have found out that the Broward County Sheriff's Department had been at this kid's house, what, 37 times over a seven-year period or 39 times over a seven-year period. They would have found out all the different stuff that was going on in the school. But the FBI blew it off, did no investigation. And now the breaking news story that is out there, this is the FBI's statement. On January 5th, 2018, a person close to Nicholas Cruz contacted the FBI's public access line, the tip line, to report concerns about him. And this isn't apparently an anonymous type of threat. And this isn't, hey, you should check out my neighbor. The caller provided information about Cruz's gun ownership, desire to kill people, erratic behavior, and disturbing social media posts, as well as the potential of him conducting a school shooting. This is, again, a specific call left with the FBI. The release continues. Under established protocols, the information provided by the caller should have been assessed as a potential threat to life. Now, let me just stop right there. Once you get this call, if you do any sort of background at all into Nicholas Cruz, it's going to turn out that the person is a complete and total dangerous, violent nut job. You're going to find all the contacts that the Broward County Sheriff's Department had. You're going to presumably, if you cross-reference, you're going to find that he was mentioned in this Instagram post. You're going to, with not that much trouble, find out all the problems that he had at school. However, the FBI does none of that. The information was not provided to the Miami field office, and no further investigation was conducted at that time. The FBI director, Christopher Ray, said, we are still investigating the facts. I'm committed to getting to the bottom of what happened in this particular matter. Let me stop it right there. I'll tell you what happened. They blew it big time. As well as review says, as well as reviewing our processes for responding to information that we receive from the public, it's up to all Americans to be vigilant. And when members of the public contact us with concerns, we must ask, act properly and quickly. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now, yesterday we had this lengthy talk about. You know, what do you do with this? And there's people out there saying, well, we need to repeal the Second Amendment. We need to ban guns. Other people are saying we need to be quicker to lock up the mentally ill people. Um, all these different ideas and this ongoing frustration. But but here's the reality of this situation. Lots of time when this stuff happens, you really people look back in retrospect and say, yeah, we could see some of these signs. This is not one of those cases. This is a situation where people had been trying to warn authorities for a prolonged period of time that this kid was a dangerous ticking time bomb and nothing was done. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I guess I look at this and, and I mean, the, the shooter is the one ultimately responsible and now he's on suicide watch. And excuse me if I'm a little bit blunt about this, but um, after what he did, uh, you know, okay, he, he's on suicide watch. Most of these crazies decide to go down in a hail of gunfire. He did not choose to do that. 
Well, obviously, if you're in custody, you know, you, you they have to do everything they can to make sure he doesn't kill himself. But I'm not going to lose too much sleep about that one way or the other. What I am going to lose sleep about is the fact that apparently in this particular case, there was information which could have or at least potentially prevented this. And the FBI screwed up by not acting on it. How many more people like this are out there that are not getting acted upon. And like I say, I know they get over 100 tips a day, but this this was a specific credible threat by somebody who had a background that screamed trouble. 414-799-1620. Um, we're going to talk about this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jackson Brown is on his 2018 acoustic tour. And he's making his stop in Milwaukee this summer. He's going to be at the Riverside Theater on Saturday night, June 16th. I have seen Jackson Brown at the Riverside before. He puts on a great show, and that is a great venue for the type of music that Brown performs. Keep listening to my program today for your shot at winning a pair of tickets to the show. Sometime between now and 3 o'clock, we'll be giving them away. All right. The FBI um, is acknowledging that they received a, a tip in January, January 5th, about this Nicholas Cruz, which um, gave very, very specific information about the danger he posed, and they did nothing. Now, this is on top of the fact that the Broward County Sheriff's Department had been at the kids' home 39 times over the past seven years. School officials tossed him out after finding all sorts of erratic uh, behavior on his part. And yet nobody did anything. And the FBI is saying, yeah, we did not handle this one well. Sorry. Well, what's the point of see something, say something, if you do nothing? Deb in West Bend. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Deb. This is the first thing I was so erratic and irritated. I could just scream because, first of all, we should, obviously, FBI, we, we should honor and consider that they're the top people who know things. And and, and as citizens, remember all these things that have happened, we're supposed to tell somebody, if you're aware of something, if you know something, if you be something, Mm -hmm. you know, tell them, tell them, well, what the hell? Excuse my language. Hmm. We're supposed to tell them and nobody's doing anything about us? Well, right, and again, this one, I mean, I appreciate that you get lots of tips, but see, this was an easy one. This was low-hanging fruit. You know, you just make a cursory check of this kid, and you're going to find 39 visits to his house over seven years, expelled from school, not allowed to carry a backpack in school. I mean, this... this, Right, and that's what I'm saying. This was known knowledge. This was known. And then what we... We we cover everything over. They did this news. I can't stand the news. Me news because everything is covered over. Well, I mean, they did. Well, this. I mean, the truth is. I mean, thanks to call Devin. The truth is that this is it is a screw up, but it is a monumental screw up. And I guess my question becomes. Um, how many more of these dangerous people are floating around out there with records like Nicholas Cruz who are being ignored because of incompetence? And yeah, that's the word. It, it's 
it is incompetence. This is something that, again, all right, there's there's a follow-up question to this, I guess, which is if the FBI had done its job and started investigating, would they have been able to actually get him off the streets? And I've got some theories about that, but we'll never know for sure because they didn't do any investigation at all. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, John in Milwaukee. John, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I, I agree the FBI screwed up, but... I, you know, my question is, what concrete thing could the FBI have done? You know, you can't arrest somebody for being a potential threat. Um, they can't, you know, so what did he have, did he do anything that was arrestable? And, and you're well, right, there's probably about a thousand of these cooks, cooks per state. You know, do we have 50,000 FBI agents to trail each one of them? Right. Well, I guess, well, no, but that's why, but then, but then I guess if we're going to say, if we're going to say, well, there's nothing we can do, then why bother encouraging people to call in and make tips? I mean, I, I, I don't know, John. I mean, I don't know how specific the information they received was. But, you know, if they've got witnesses who are now identifying this guy saying, hey, he's got this arsenal of guns, maybe you want to check into legal gun ownership of this. If they've got people saying, hey, look what he's done. He's actually made various threats. Well, maybe that is enough to get him off the street and, and get him either detained for a mental exam or maybe even charged, you know, if he's posting this stuff on the Internet. But, of course, we won't know because they didn't do anything. I agree. You yeah. know, so maybe they would have had something. It's just, you know, I think the security should have been at the school where, right. you know, he, he tried to get in. I don't know how he got in the school. Right, he just walked in the school. I, know, I, I think it was an open school. He just walked in, pulled a fire alarm, and start, started shooting, I think. No, thanks. Look, and look, and I, I understand hindsight is twenty twenty, but... We, we've been we, we've been spending all this money on on encouraging you know we're going to do this surveillance we're going to get on top of this and look and I I understand that the laws are are a mess and and I'm one of these guys that rail about the laws on the mental health laws which make it almost impossible to detain somebody until they have either proved they are a danger to themselves or a danger to somebody else. But unfortunately, many times before that happens, you have to wait till they, in fact, act out. And I mean, I, I think the mental health laws in this country with regard to commitment are an absolute disgrace and lead to this. I don't know if the FBI had done its job and conducted even a cursory investigation, it would have stopped this. But I mean, imagine this, January 5th, January 5th, you get this thing saying, hey, you know, we've gotten this report. It's identifiable. It's somebody who knows this kid. There's these specifics. If some agent had even just 30 seconds or a minute to run a computer check, my guess is you're going to see all these contacts. You make a call to Broward County saying, I just got this question. We got this tip about this kid. Um, is he known to you? Oh, my God, we've been out to this kid's house 39 times. There's guns. There's all this type of stuff. You call the high school where he went to. Oh, yeah, he was expelled. He, You know, within the space, two phone calls, and you have all sorts of red flags indicating that at least it's worth some follow-up investigation, and the FBI did did none of that. Let's talk to Lee in Waukesha. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I got a uh, different perspective sure. at this. Okay, uh, the, the sheriff didn't do their job. Another thing, too, is if this was a different, uh, let's say, different race, would the sheriff went in there and, and confiscated this guy's gun many times they went to his, his, his residence? 39 times, yeah. In seven yeah, years, if, yeah. if, if would they take took the weapon then? 
so so we have to look at it that way too. Well, let me let also, me ask. You, let's stop you. Let me, let me ask you. I mean, do you think because this was a white kid, he was treated differently if, than if this had been an Hispanic kid or a black kid? I, I, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. but we have to put that out there. Uh, you went thirty nine. The reason I ask you is I actually have I have I have a piece I'm going to play a little bit later on that kind of like alludes exactly to that. So I was just kind of curious. So thirty nine oh, okay. times and, in seven years, right? And then also, you know, uh, the mental ill perspective of it. Trump signed a bill that don't have any other connection. Signed a bill that allowed mental challenge people to purchase weapons. He, he signed that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, I mean, thanks. It's not quite that simple, but but it's it's not quite that simple. But yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I I understand, and I think again, I, I I go back to my basic premise: the the mental health laws in this country are a complete and total disaster. And and now this kid saying, all right, now now you're you're getting the well, I, I'm hearing all these voices and things like that. Well, okay, th- this his behavior the other day was no different than what his behavior apparently was for the last two or three years leading up to this. And, yeah, that, that becomes the question. Should should have been easier to lock him up in the first place. But at, at the same time, I mean, I, I don't – there's all sorts of causes for this. And, and, again, I appreciate that hindsight is twenty twenty. But what is so frustrating to me about this is if we say you've got to participate, you've got to tell people, here – that's the cops knew about this. The FBI knew about this, and nobody did a damn thing. And seventeen people are dead. Heidi and Racine. Heidi, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Heidi. Um, I I totally uh, uh, agree with the um, you know the mental health laws are mm-hmm. are just ridiculous, and the fact, like you said, they were. Um, you know, called to the residence 39 times and January 5th, you know, this happened and nobody checked it out. Um, Yeah, it's simple. Making two phone calls could have saved 17 lives. Right, and at least, yeah, red lights are going to go off because, look, I'm sure they get all sorts of crank calls and things like that, but this they, they acknowledge that this was a credible, specific tip from someone who had, you know, firsthand knowledge of this. And all I'm saying is, you know, five minutes of investigation would have told you that there's something behind this tip. This isn't just some anonymous coup. Now, thanks, Akai. Very, very. It's just, it is frustrating. And, you know, we talk about the FBI being the premier law enforcement agency in this country. And, but, you know, you, you wonder, and I, look, I understand it's tough. And I, I concede they get a hundred threat tips or calls a day. And it's tough to parcel them out. But my gosh, any, any reasonable sort of follow-up on this would have showed all these red flags. All right, when we come back, the Florida threats go local. Two things happened in the North Shore today. I want to tell you about those. We're going to talk about them. And then a very, very provocative commentary I want to play for you saying race could have been a factor. Stick around. Um, it's 1229. Jeff Wagner. 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about 20 minutes, I'm going to give you a, uh, a little taste of something that we're going to be rolling out very, very shortly. Um, it's something I'm very excited about. So it's coming up in about 20 minutes. Right now we're in big story number two. In the aftermath of what happened in Florida two days ago, and this is, by the way, going on all across the country now, you have students who are posting threatening stuff on the Internet and now people are figuring out how do we react to it. Over the last 24 hours, you had that happen at Nicolay, 
in Glendale, my alma mater, and at Whitefish Bay Middle School. In both of those situations, authorities um, were able to identify the student that was involved. They got the police involved. In the Whitefish Bay case, uh, the student, and this is a middle school, the student is at home while the police investigate, determine you know, whether this is a matter that should be sent to the district attorney's office. In the Nicolay case, they again identified the student. Their announcement says that he's no longer on campus. But in both cases, school is in session today. So the question becomes, you know, did they do the right thing? And I, you know, I could not feel more strongly about this. The answer is yes, they did. But the reality is there's a lot of crazy people out there. There's a lot of attention seekers. There's people with weird senses of humor. There's copycats, whatever, who post these things. And the problem is, I, I think too often, school officials in an abundance of caution overreact. And I understand that school officials are between a rock and a hard place. I, I get it. You have the, the school that's going to blow up on Valentine's Day, scrawled on the girls' restroom. And even though you know it is not a credible threat, you, you just, at the same time, you'd rather be safe than sorry. But what happens then is that the people who do this, they get the reaction that they want. I think the way they handled this in Whitefish Bay and in Nicolay sounds exactly appropriate. You get the information. You turn it over to the cops. In this case, they were able to identify the people they believe responsible. They enhance security. They keep the people that are responsible off of the campus, and then you go on as business as usual. Again, that's how I think you should handle something. And candidly, the way they handled this in Whitefish Bay and the way they handled Nicolet strikes me as the way lots of school districts should handle this. And I bring it up because as the weather gets nicer, and this is my perspective from somebody who's been doing this job full of part-time for 23 years now in this market, typically what happens is our spring spring weather starts to get nicer as you get closer to june when school is out this is when we really have the the increase in the bomb threats and the the fake threats and things like that um and the reality is you got to be careful i get it you got to take every one of these things seriously but at the same time you can't forget that typically when there really is going to be a shooting they don't call the school in advance although certainly in the florida case if the fbi would have done its job I think maybe they would have highlighted just how dangerous this particular guy was. All right, big story number three. There is a sportscaster. Yes, I said sportscaster. There's a sportscaster whose name is Dale Hansen. I was referring to him as Dan Hansen. That is the figure skater. That's the speed skater. Dale Hansen, sportscaster down in Dallas, who is known for his editorial comments. He had he had a really interesting piece yesterday that has, I hate the phrase, gone viral because it's cliche, but this has gone viral. And he ties the way we handle this, the way we handle guns in this country into race and all sorts of other things. And it's a very provocative commentary. I want to play it, and then we're going to talk about it for a minute. Here is the commentary by the sportscaster out of Dallas. His name is Dale Hansen. Dale Hansen moves away from sports this morning. He has something he wants to say about school shootings. Here is his extra point. Another high school shooting yesterday, this one in Florida. 17 dead, the last report I saw. And everybody sends their thoughts and prayers again because that works so well. 
This is the 18th high school shooting in America this year, and we have 10 and a half months to go. We've had 290 since 2013. We average about one a week, but there's just nothing we can do. If it was a Muslim or a Mexican doing the shooting, how many new laws and how much money would we spend then to stop the madness? But since it's almost always a white kid, there's just nothing we can do. America has 5% of the world's population, and yet 31% of the world's mass shootings. We're worried about people coming to this country. They should be worried about us going to theirs. Australia had four mass shootings between 87 and 96. They passed stricter gun laws and haven't had a single mass shooting since. And here I thought, guns don't kill, people do. Is this the people we are? Last time I said we need to find a way to stop a nut with a gun, and that's all I said. I get an email saying, I'm saving my last bullet to put it right between your eyes. Just another responsible gun owner in America, and I'm taking all bets he's a white guy. So there's just nothing we can do. I'm Dale Hansen. It's getting harder to enjoy the day. Hmm. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's a lot of stuff crammed into about a 60-second commentary piece there. But what caught my attention is the suggestion, the, 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 the racialization of this. Because the kid in Florida, the shooter was, was a white kid, we're not going to do anything uh, about this. And if the kid had been a, a Muslim kid who had done something like this, well, there would have been a different sort of reaction. We would have been talking about all sorts of things, and there would have been laws passed and all sorts of money spent. I understand the frustration people have with how difficult it is to, uh, again, uh, eliminate gun violence in this country. And as we talked about extensively yesterday, the, the whole idea of you know, where where is this balancing and the frustration, whether it's the mental health laws or whether it's the presence of guns. There's 8 million AR-15s in private people's hands. That just, If you just want to focus on AR-15s, there's 8 million. Tell me, you know, are we going to go door to door and start to confiscate them? Is that what we're really going to do? But this racialization of this... And and, you know, we actually had a caller in the first half hour of the program who alluded to this as well. Would we be would we be more outraged if this were not a white kid that perpetrated it for is is this a racial situation? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I appreciate the frustration that's there. But this is a problem, at least in my opinion, that transcends racial boundaries and i don't know that the outrage what's happening in when it comes to school shootings isn't because at least in my opinion that the the shooter is white or black or brown the problem in this case is that we have a legitimate frustration about what it is that you can realistically do to stop this unless unless you're going to go to the point of banning firearms and we're going to confiscate firearms and explain to me how you can do that. 414-799-1620. But this idea that, well, the shooter was a white kid, so we're just going to talk about it and not do anything, I, I find offensive in the extreme. We discuss next. It's 1253. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike in Greenfield. Mike, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Jeff. Excellent uh, subject matter and program as usual. Thanks, I appreciate it. Okay, it was, was this a racial issue? Are we not doing stuff because the school shooters, not exclusively, but the school shooters tend to be white kids as opposed to black kids or or well, Muslim kids? You know. Let me expound on this a little bit, Jeff. Um, it, it, it is a racial if it wants to be. In other words, let me expound on it. It, it, a human being is a human being regardless of race, creed, or color. In a politically correct society as we have, you have people on one side saying that, like, you know, minority, if you want to call them minorities, the actual true American is an Indian. So pretty much, this, if this is a melting pot, it's nobody is a, is a true American except the Indian. So having said that, I think that guns, uh, don't kill people. People kill people. It's, it's the person behind that trigger, uh, you know, pulling the trigger. Everything starts from the home, Jeff. So mm-hmm. whether it's a lack thereof parenting or a bad role model, everything starts from the home. So uh, the three most dangerous jobs in America are truck driver, uh, teacher, and public service like police officer mm-hmm. and fireman. So having said all that, uh, Times have changed a lot, and unless you and I and a lot of other people that lived back in the day where we had the Meyer and the Breyer administration, a lot of people can't relate to it. But all I'm going to say is this. It all starts from the home, and it's nobody's responsibility except the parents. And whether people parent or they don't, it all starts from the home. Yeah, and this this, – well, and I I agree. At the same time, there are – there are psychopaths in this world, and it sounds like this guy from, you know, an early age was, was identified as one of those people who had these psycho, you know, these sort of psychotic tendencies. I guess th- this idea that we don't care about it, we're not willing to do stuff because it's a white kid that was the shooter as opposed to, you know, somebody else. Look, I, I, the, the reality is to the extent we don't do anything, it's because it's because there, there's nobody that has any good sort of common sense solutions that can solve this particular issue. Wave a magic wand and tell me how we do this. All right. Do you, are we really at a point where we're going to confiscate all the guns? We're not going to allow people to hunt. We're going to do that. OK, fine. Then you could say, all right, well, we're not going to allow you to have AR-15 rifles. All right. You can't do that. First of all, you got to explain to me how we're going to get the eight million that are in private hands back. But then, like I say, what do you do? People have, you know, pistols have clip, have clips and magazines, and you can shoot, you know, seven or eight times without reloading. All right, are we then going to confiscate those type of handguns? Are we not going to allow people to have firearms at all? It's not that we don't want to do something. It's just that every time something like this happens, there is, you know, everybody's got their different knee jerk reactions and. None of those knee-jerk reactions really make a difference. That's the frustration. All right, coming up, we're going to switch gears. First of all, right after the news, I want to give you a taste of something we're going to be rolling out very, very shortly. Tom Barrett gives in. He folds like a cheap suit. He folds like a poker player with a really lousy hand. We'll talk about that as well. Stick around. It's 1259. One ten, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Man, all sorts of stuff going on. I am on vacation next week. Nothing. No, it's actually it's a it's my belated honeymoon. So you know, we got married in late September, and 
this is uh, we're going to go. Uh, we're going to go on our belated honeymoon. So looking forward to that. We've got fill-ins. I think um, uh, I, Tracy Johnson's going to be doing the show. Nick Reed um, out of out of our Springfield station is going to be doing that earlier. So I'm I am off next week, but uh, no drama, just on vacation. But it's interesting. I, I've been getting a number of of texts, including one that just came in a long time, just a couple minutes ago. Mr. Wagner, you don't have to call me Mr. Wagner. You can just call me Jeff. Mr. Wagner, do you have any information about putting on Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee? Well, that's interesting. We do insight every year, and and yes, yes, I do have some insight. So this is save the date. If I do say so myself, we have been working on the guest list for Insight 2018 for, well, a while now, and we have... I'm telling you, we have just a total kick-butt lineup um, and, and might even have one or two more additions. But uh, we have just an incredible lineup, especially given that this is going to be an election year. Insight 2018 is going to be Wednesday night, March 28th, the Country Springs Hotel. Now, we're going to have more announcements as we get ready to roll that out, including the guest list and things like that, coming up probably right after I get back. Um, but, yes... Mark the date, Wednesday night, March 28th, the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. It is going to be Insight 2018, and trust me, you do not want to miss this one. It's just, um, I am very excited to be hosting this. And, of course, what happens is we rebroadcast the show the next day as well in WTMJ. And this show might be so action-packed and content-full, we might even have to go on to that next Friday, the day after, the, the two days after the show, to get everything in that's going to be there in person. But it's, trust me, it's going to be your chance to see a lot of great people up close and personal. So mark the date. We'll have more announcements coming up uh, probably when I get back from vacation. But March 28th, there will be Insight 2018. This is the Country Springs Hotel. All right. In my effort to try to tell you what is and isn't significant. And again, I, 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 I understand that sometimes you know people want to hear what they want to hear. And for example, when the the Nunez memo came out about the FBI essentially buying into the Hillary Clinton stuff and using somebody that was indirectly paid by the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign to get a, a, a wiretap, you know, there were some people who said, well, this is nothing. This this means absolutely nothing. And in my analysis, I tried to say, no, it, it does. It does, in fact, you know, mean something. I mean, it shows that I, I think there were some individuals in the FBI who screwed up badly and who compromised an investigation. But when President Trump then comes out and says, well, th- th- this shows I've been completely vindicated. No, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It, it means that, yeah, there was some political bias, I think, operating and some sloppiness and maybe some ethical violations and maybe some even some legal violations in with regard to, you know, how a particular you know, evidentiary piece was gathered, but it's not a complete vindication. And I, I said that and I know that made the folks that hate Trump just they weren't happy, and the folks that just loved President Trump and don't think he can do anything wrong, they weren't happy either. But that was what this was. All right, today you have another one of these stories. The, the big news out of Washington is special counsel Robert Mueller has a grand jury, um, has returned an indictment against 13 Russian nationals 
and three Russian entities for interfering in the 2016 presidential elections to boost the candidacy of Donald Trump. Uh, As a general rule, it, it is against the law for foreign nationals to um, meddle in in federal U.S. federal elections. What the indictment in this case um, says is that a Russian organization called the Internet Research Agency sought to wage information warfare against the United States by using fictitious American personas and social media platforms and other Internet-based media. The effort was launched in 2014. By early to mid-2016, the defendants were supporting the presidential campaign of then-candidate Donald Trump and disparaging Hillary Clinton. As part of those efforts, the defendants also encouraged minority groups to either not vote in the election or to vote for third-party candidates, with the thinking being that both actions would have hurt Clinton, who received significant support from minority voters. Um, After the election of Trump as president in November of 2016, the defendants used fake personas to organize and coordinate political rallies in support of Trump, while also doing the same to create rallies protesting the results of the elections. All right, so they've identified individuals. The deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, said defendants created hundreds of accounts using fake personas on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to advance their schemes. Gee, Gru, so that means that everything you see on the Internet might not be true. Hmm. The accused also allegedly used a computer infrastructure based partly in the U.S. to hide the Russian origin of their activities and to avoid detection. Rosenstein said there is no allegation in the indictment that any American was a knowing participant in the scheme, nor is there any allegation that the scheme affected the outcome of the election. So let us... Let us break this down. As I have been saying for, you know, well over a year now, there's no question in my mind that the Russians um, meddled in the 2016 uh, elections. Um, and this indictment would at least appear to confirm that. At least the federal grand jury believes there's probable cause to believe that certain Russians did, in fact, do that. So there's no question about that. I don't think there really has ever been. You know, the other question, though, is does that mean that any of these people who were trying to meddle in the investigation were involved in colluding with the Trump campaign or with President Trump himself? So here's where I think, and this is the story that kind of gets lost in this. Uh, The Deputy Attorney General, um, Rod Rosenstein, says there is no allegation in the indictment that any American was a knowing participant in the scheme. Now, some people might read that to say, oh, see, this is complete vindication of Donald Trump. You know, they they say that there's, you know, no allegation that they were involved. Well, yes and no. And and that's why, again, I think everybody would be careful not to overread this. He's very careful in picking his words, and he says, look, we believe that we've identified all these Russians who were committing crime, meddling meddling in the investigation, meddling in the election. This indictment doesn't charge any American with doing anything illegal. No allegation in the indictment that any American was a knowing participant in the scheme. Now, candidly, if I were the prosecutor and I had reason to believe that there were Americans who were colluding with the Russians, 
I would have rolled them all into one prosecution. So I think there, there's an inference that you could potentially draw that that this investigation of Americans is going nowhere. I think that's a fair inclination because, like I say, if I had a cons- if I was a federal prosecutor and I had a I was looking at this overall conspiracy to try to meddle in the elections, and I had Russians and I had Americans who were colluding together. I would be inclined to throw them all into one indictment because it's one mass conspiracy. They didn't do that. One interpretation of that might mean that, hey, they're not finding any Americans that colluded. And that's going to kind of be my guess as to where this probably goes. And that is a fair interpretation. But it is certainly not the only interpretation because he was very specific. He says there's no allegation in the indictment that any American was a knowing participant in the scheme. That doesn't mean that there might not be an ongoing investigation, and that might not mean that there might not be other allegations coming out. It's just that this indictment doesn't allege anything. My understanding is he also said that to the extent that they have Americans that were involved, um, they, they believe it's unknowing. You know, it might have been unknowing. So in other words, if I'm working for a, a Trump-related, okay, fa- Facebook, all right, Facebook is putting, you know, all the these Russians on there who are pretending to be somebody else. Okay, Facebook, to the extent they are helping this Russian effort, they don't know about it. So that was the point. So I guess if you see, for example, people saying this is a complete vindication of the Trump campaign and the president himself, no, it's not. On the other hand, like I say, if, if there was... At least at this point in time, if there was credible evidence leading you to believe that there was collusion involved, it would have made sense to add all those charges. Now, of course, the other thing that's out there potentially is you indict all these Russians and, you know, maybe, uh, again, you flip a couple of them. Maybe they have evidence. So I think when it comes to the Trump campaign and President Trump himself, I don't think there's really much you can draw from this indictment today other than to say that at least at this point, you know, the government is making no allegations that anybody involved with the president, um, you know, committed crimes other than the people who might have already been charged with stuff. So be careful when you hear the analysis of this. All right. Speaking of President Trump, what the government gives, it frequently takes away. And he floated an idea that would do exactly that. We'll talk about it next. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ with the Olympics underway. There's been increased attention on the sport of speed skating. How is that playing at the Pettit Center in West Dallas? Gene Miller takes a look. Be sure to tune in 6.51 a.m. on Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Uh, One of the big accomplishments of the Republican Congress has been the um, tax reform package. And, And the result of that is going to be for a lot of people, when you start getting your, your paychecks, if you haven't already got your paycheck, you're going to notice more money in your paycheck because of changes in withholding as a result of the adjustment of taxes. Now, again, how well you do out of this tax reform program is going to depend on your individual circumstance. But my guess is more people are going to be paying less in taxes than are going to be paying more. That is a good thing. All right. But what the government gives, sometimes the government takes away. President Trump has rolled out this huge infrastructure plan 
The idea being if states want to do new spending, that's one of the keys of this, you know, new spending on infrastructure. So if the road work is already being planned, you can't get federal dollars to help underwrite those existing plans. But if you've got something completely new that you've been thinking of doing, well, there might be federal money available for it. The problem, of course, is that this is extremely expensive. Matter of fact, there are estimates that, you know, this infrastructure program that the president is uh, talking about could cost up to $200 billion and then maybe more. Okay, so the question becomes, where is this 200 B as in billion dollars going to come from? The federal gas tax has been frozen since, I think, 1993 at 18.4 cents a gallon. This is the federal portion of the gas tax. There's also a state portion. In Wisconsin, we pay, what, about 32, 33 cents a gallon in state tax and then 18 cents in federal tax on on top of that, 18.4 cents actually. President Trump earlier this week floated the idea of a 25-cent increase in the gas tax, taking it from 18.4 cents up to like 43 cents. Like I said, there hasn't been an increase in the gas tax in going on 25 years. By increasing the gas tax a quarter per gallon, bringing it up to 43 cents or so, the estimates are that you could you could raise about 394 billion dollars more than enough to pay for the 200 billion dollar infrastructure program but at the same time you know all those tax savings that we were talking about you know as a result of the republican plan well all right those tax savings are going to largely or at least potentially go up in smoke because at least for people who who drive cars you're now going to be paying a whole bunch more at, at the pump. So, I mean, you, let's say you put 10 gallons in your car when you fill up, you're going to be paying an extra $2.50 every fill up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet uh, Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. All right, everybody wants to approve infrastructure spending. The federal gas tax, and again, we're talking the federal gas tax, not the state gas tax, has been frozen for 20-plus years at 18 cents. Is it time to boost it, and is it time to boost it by as much as the president wants, which would be a quarter, 18 cents to 43 cents? And if we do that, have we essentially just taken back all the tax breaks, the tax savings that we gave to people? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 128. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Bill in Cedarburg. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, my opinion is that uh, the proposal or the plan would be short-sighted um, due to the fact that I believe that the uh, not only the United States, but the whole world is going to uh, move to electrical vehicles. Well, you're already seeing that. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're having the the, the pinch we are in Wisconsin um, now with the gas tax because cars are getting more mileage. You've got more electric cars. You've got more hybrid cars. So if the idea is you pay the tax based on the, your use of the roadways, that's not working out. And I think you're right. It's going. I, I think the future is probably going to be hybrid cars or electric vehicles. Sure. And, and additionally, uh, the sharing concept, um, 
Uber being probably the most uh, famous example, it's going to reduce the amount of cars on the road and then the self-driving concept as well. So there's going to be more efficiency in the amount of cars. uh, There's going to be a tipping point reached where there's more electrical vehicles sold than internal combustion engines, which, by the way, have 2,000 moving parts. They break down. Their maintenance is higher. Uh, People that drive Teslas report that the only... The, their major maintenance expense is tires. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it's funny. One of my colleagues drives a uh, drives a a, a Tesla. Got a Tesla now, and he he just mocks me when he hears me talk about going in for. Oh, I just got the wheel changed in the car, and he sort of mocks me about that. I'm I'm not ready to go to the electric vehicle one, but yeah, it it is it is interesting if you if you're going to use the gas tax as a sustainable form of long term revenue. You do appear to be swimming upstream, perhaps against the future, maybe not today or tomorrow. I think there's larger problems with this, though. Tom, who's calling us from central Wisconsin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Just a shout-out for people in rural America. Um, The the fuel tax affects us in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Not relevant to the interesting call of, of the last person with electric, but every tractor, every truck, right. all the farm harvest, harvest the um, um, equipment to, to run a farm, but mm-hmm. distance to any town, right. we're 40, 40 miles to Stevens Point, to Oshkosh, to Wisconsin Rapids. That's an 80 to 100-mile round trip to get to what, what's down the street for people in the city of Walmart and Fleet Farm and different mm-hmm. things that are, are there, 20 miles to the grocery store. Um, right. So, it, wages are less in rural areas. We have to drive farther for work. If we commute to the larger cities, we're still making that 80, 100-mile round trip each day just for employment. So when you start adding on, you know, you have yeah. mileage. Um, you know, re- in recent shows, you've talked about wheel tax, tollways, gas right. tax, different things. I'm just curious. I don't know the right thing to do, but as a as a, a family and a running your own household, we have to live within our means and budget, and we don't spend before we're able to afford. And it's curious that I I find the government seems to often um, spend and then try to figure out how to rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. Well, well, and also, it's... You know what's interesting to me is, is the amount. I mean, you're you're talking right now. It's the gas tax, the federal gas tax, eighteen point four cents. And I understand it's been locked in since nineteen ninety three. If he were talking about, let's raise it a nickel, or you know, let, let's raise it seven or eight cents. Well, okay, maybe then you can say, hey, it's been frozen since nineteen ninety three. You know, inflation, all those things. But he's not talking about raising it five, six, seven cents. He's talking about raising it a quarter, which would be you know more than doubling the tax. And again, that's that I think you know really starts to hit people, especially people in your situation where. Well, it does, and, yeah. and I'm in my 60s, and you know, 30 some years ago, Alice Chalmers closed. I worked there for many years until they did close, but we were paid a wage of 12 and a half dollars an hour with insurance, benefits, vacations. In our area, jobs are, are paying between eight and thirteen dollars an hour. Thirty some years later, yeah, and and you don't get the benefits we used to, and it's um, you know everything costs more. Uh, great to think about an electric car, but the expense. We all look for a, a good used ten to fifteen year old car and pray we get another <laughs> fifty right. or hundred thousand out of it right. with maintenance. But 
Right. You know, it's, a lot of times there's a lot of people that live in rural America all over that get forgotten. No, thanks. No, they get. For, I, I appreciate that. Now, I mean, right now gas is low. My sense is that it's it's going to stay because of the advances that we've made um, in things like fracking and our, our ability to produce oil domestically. Um, my, my guess is it's going to stay, in general, comparatively low for this foreseeable future. But, you know, we've all seen those spikes. Some pipeline goes out or something, and all of a sudden you've got the gas spikes, and it's up to 3 bucks or three fifty a, a gallon. So imagine a 25% a 25 cent increase in the gasoline tax on top of that i just i I wonder how well thought out this particular idea was but i will say for everybody if if something like this were to go through for everybody who was saying hey i'm going to get a few extra bucks back in this kind of tax reform type of thing well you know 25 cent a gallon increase in the gas tax is going to eat at least a decent portion of that joe in appleton joe you're on wtmj hello hello what do you think you hinted at my point before, but, you know, I'm not opposed to an increase in a tax when it's in line with inflation or justified, but more than doubling a tax is just completely out of line. Right. I mean, right. It, yeah, it's it's the, uh, again, it, it's the amount. If you wanted to argue, hey, we need to adjust for inflation or whatever, or we need to figure out a, a, a way to start, you know, increasing this a bit. But yeah, 18 to 18 to 43 cents on top of, again, whatever the state tax is going to be. So if this went through, just to give people an idea, Wisconsin's tax is what, 32 cents a gallon. This would be 43 cents. You'd be talking about neighborhood of 75 cents a gallon in tax for every gallon of gasoline that you purchased. That's going to add a lot to the purchase price of gas. I'm an on-the-road salesman, and I drive for a living, and that makes a huge dent in my take-home and my my uh, liquid assets that I have the ability to spend, so it's going to defeat a lot of what he's trying to do. How sure. many how many miles would you say you put on your car in a given week? In a given week, I put on probably three to 400 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, this, this would be, you know, per week, this would be a bunch of money out of your pocket. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, I don't know. I get the idea that this is kind of going to be a, a non, a, a non starter. Now, a number of, a number of texters, well, let's see. For example, Jamie says, a small gas tax hike seems reasonable, five to eight percent. Is it possible that Trump is looking at this as a ask for a pony when all you really want is a puppy situation? Yet, Jake, text you always ask high knowing you will get less president trump is a world-class businessman he probably wants only 10 to 15 cents jake from caledonia well uh maybe that's it we see that's that that's the chris abley approach i mean remember two years ago chris abley comes out and says i want to go from zero to 60 i want a 60 dollar wheel tax and of course everybody is outraged about that but the county board gives him 30 bucks now Abley really did want 60 but the county board gives him 30 bucks and the county board pats themselves on the back saying hey we just uh, stuck at the Milwaukee County taxpayers for $30 um uh you know for every car they want to register aren't we great we didn't give Abley the 60 bucks and i was sort of one of those guys who was saying, wait, 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 before we go too far, just remember that you have just had a massive tax increase that you have foisted on at least anybody that owns a car and registers it in Milwaukee County. There's lots of people who have cars who don't register it, but that's another story. It's 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Jackson Brown, coming to the Riverside Theater. 
um, June 16th. It will be a great show. I have seen Jackson Brown at the Riverside before he puts on a great show. We have been giving away tickets all week. I have one final pair of tickets to give away. Let us give them to caller number 18. Caller 18 at 414-799-1620. Caller 18 wins a pair of tickets to the Jackson Brown Show. And special thank you to the promoters um, for making those tickets available. 414-799-1620. Tickets to see Jackson Brown. I... This whole controversy involving the health department in Milwaukee is just fascinating to me, not necessarily because of of who the person is, but how this process has worked out. Uh, Bevan Baker was the, the former health commissioner. He resigned, forced out, fired, whatever, kind of in disgrace after this this incredible screw up when uh with with involving you know lead paint in in the water and it appears that you know he didn't do any of the follow-up that he was supposed to do and the health department he was sounded like he was running it like his own little private fiefdom and people weren't allowed to go and tell the mayor's office about problems and things like that it was just a complete and total mess and so he's forced out so the the city of milwaukee is starting a search for a permanent replacement all right so that means you need an interim replacement well first of all the mayor had a guy and it was one of the mayor's cronies and somebody who'd been around for forever and taken all sorts of consulting fees from the city and all the common council said no so the common council says okay well here's who, who we're going to appoint we're going to appoint this patricia mcmanus who it isn't a medical doctor i mean she's a nurse and she's got a doctorate in urban something or other but she, she's not a medical doctor, and she gives an interview on an urban radio station talking about how the, the science is unsettled as to whether there's a link between um, autism and vaccines, which has people all over the country going, what? I mean, really, you're, you're going to be the city health commissioner who's responsible for making sure that people, you know, get their vaccines, get vaccinated, kids in particular, as required by state law, and you're out there potentially peddling this line that at least – no, no, I won't say no, very few medical doctors buy into. But anyhow, uh, Barrett, so the Common Council wants her on the, the the job as an interim commissioner. But we don't know what interim means. Interim could mean two months. It could mean two years. We just don't know because somebody has to get their act together and, and hire somebody full time. So the mayor is not happy about this process, and the mayor doesn't really want her. He has the ability to veto her appointment. And I think if he had vetoed her appointment, I don't know if it would have been overridden or not in light of her controversial comments regarding vaccines. But anyhow, Barrett throws up his hands and says, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to sign off on it. I'm not going to sign the appointment, but I'm not going to veto it. I'm just going to return it to the Common Council unsigned, which means, you know, she gets the job. And he says, I, I don't want to be part of, you know, further politicizing this process, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to just expend energy over what's going to be an interim pick, which is a bizarre thing to say to me. To me, it is a bizarre thing to say because she's going to be there for a while. I mean, and she could be there. Again, who who knows? Um, this is an interim thing that could last two weeks, um, unlikely, could last two years, unlikely. But given the, the mess, you would think that the mayor 
would want to be fighting for somebody that he really believed in, and clearly she isn't the person, which again makes me wonder whether Tom Barrett has just like spent all his political capital and and now we're just going to stand by and, and watch what happens in the city until the, the trolley starts and then we can celebrate. Just very, very bizarre all the way around. We have our winner of the Jackson Brown tickets. Again, thanks to the promoters for letting me give pairs of tickets away all week. If you didn't win, um, Jackson Brown is a great concert to go see, and I would encourage you to do that June 16th at the Riverside, 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's been a heck of a week. Just been a, just been a heck of a week with some unrelenting bad news. We're going to lighten it up a little bit about the 2 to 2 o'clock hour of the program, and I actually had some topics worked up about immigration and things like that. And I'm thinking, boy, that's really some kind of heavy lifting. Um, so we're going to talk about baseball in Waukesha. We're going to be talking about um, banning books in Duluth. And, of course, a fun version of Pop Culture Corner. That's coming up. I do want to double back on something we talked about briefly yesterday. The backlash is growing. Joy Behar, who is one of the big, big-time lefties that works kind of for ABC News, and, and she's on that dreadful, it is a dreadful show. I mean, maybe years ago it might have been okay, but it's a dreadful show. Joy Behar, The View on ABC, where you have a bunch of women who are um, all, all, all or almost all very, very liberal who sit around and, and mock conservative values, and Joy Behar is probably the worst. She, she goes off on Vice President Mike Pence, who is a man of faith, and he makes no, no no bones about it. And how they got started on this, it doesn't really make much much difference. But um, somebody was talking about how, well, you know, Mike, Mike Pence, you know, thinks he hears God, thinks he thinks God speaks to him, and Joy Behar says, well, she he hears voices. Well, isn't that a sign of mental illness? Um, at which point in time, I, I think a lot of people said, well, well wait, there, there's, there's a lot of people who fa- a faith who, you know, do believe in a higher being and, and whether you want to call it your conscience or whatever, they, they believe that, you know, they're, they're, that God does speak to them in, in many different ways. And I don't think people of faith who feel that way necessarily consider it to be mental illness. Um, and of course, Mike Pence, didn't you know he he was very offended by this this whole thing he says look you know um this is my faith i make no bones uh, about this and now the public reaction is starting to swell i think a lot of people are saying look this is abc news and i understand that people are entitled to their opinion but you would not be able to get away with insulting any other religious group like this, you know, his belief that, well, God speaks, well, you must be mentally ill if you think that's it. This this is the problem with this country. We have too many of these crazy Christians that are out there who think that God talks to them. Oh, they're hearing voices. Ha, 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 ha. Well, okay, maybe in the crowd that Joy Behar runs around with in New York City or Los Angeles, maybe that's something that you mock. But I think for a lot of us who are people of faith, you do believe that, again, you, you it's tough to perhaps explain how you feel it but yes you do believe that there is a living god that's part of your life and that informs your decisions and no i don't think most of us figure that that's a sign of mental illness but if you're a lefty like joy behar who apparently hates christians and thinks they are mentally ill what you do is you get a gig on abc news go figure it's 159 this is jeff wagner wtmj
209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner. We need something to lighten our souls up a little bit after some relentlessly depressing news this week. Um, that shooting in Florida, just it's one of those things you just throw up your hands and go, my goodness, what could happen next? Um, and so we got Pop Culture Corner coming up uh, right after the 2.30 news. Before that, though... There's a story out of Duluth, and we've talked about variations of this before, and, and it's it's how political correctness can essentially take over certain things, including the educational system. There are there are great books that are out there, and the great books, great literature that is a product of the time that it was written in. And one of the things that you see, that's why, I mean, you, you read various books and, and some of them end up being, well, candidly, you know, dated, for example. You say, oh, my, my goodness, you know, this is something that, you know, you, you read these books and you go, wow, that's, I just, I can't relate to that because this was the era before cell phones and computers and things of the like. But it doesn't change the fact that these are great books that are reflective of the times. There are some books which are also great books, but they are controversial. For example, Huckleberry Finn is, I think almost everybody that's read it says, you know, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. You know, th- these are part of growing up. These are great books by Mark Twain. Um, in addition, I-, I think if you wanted to argue about what the great American novel was, you could make a very strong case that it is To Kill a Mockingbird. There, there might be others, but, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, set in uh, the the Depression-era South, focusing on racial tensions in a small southern community as viewed through the eyes of the, the character Scout, you know, who's, what, five or six years old, maybe a little bit older, um, and just, you know, watching Atticus Finch, her father, one of the great characters in American literature, again, maybe arguably the greatest character in American literature, as he deals with, uh, again, the the biases and the prejudices of a a black man falsely accused of, of a crime. You know, it's just To Kill a Mockingbird is a tremendous book. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn are is a tremendous book. But in Mockingbird's case, because of the, the subject matter and the authenticity, there are racial stereotypes, even though it is making a point about race relations, and there is use of the N-word, stuff which is offensive, I guess, in some respects, but in context, it is depicting a certain era in time. Huckleberry Finn is the same the same thing. Again, it is a product of its time, and it, it uses, it has bad words in it, it has offensive words in it, but again, these are words that were used when Mark Twain was writing the book. Well, I bring this up because um, if you go to school in Duluth, Minnesota, you no longer you no longer read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird. Here's the way the story reads. In an effort to be considerate of all students, the two novels, which contain racial slurs, will no longer be required reading in the district's English classes next school year. 
Um, they are available for optional reading, so they haven't been banned, but they're off the school's reading list. Um, the director of curriculum says the feedback that we've received is that it makes many students feel uncomfortable. Conversations about race are an important topic, and we want to make sure we address those conversations in a way that works well for all of our students. So the school district is responding to we want to have conversations about race in a way that works well for all students by saying, all right, we're not going to assign Mockingbird anymore. We're not going to assign Huck Finn. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that is a darn shame. And I guess I wonder how many of the students who feel well offended or uncomfortable by certain of the references which you find in books like Mockingbird or Huck Finn routinely Listen to rap music with its racist or misogynistic themes. 414-799-1620. Have we gotten to a point in America in 2018 where books that most of us grew up as required reading, great American novels, can no longer be taught in public schools because of some of the language that's in them. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. (music) 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There is this ongoing effort in this country to try to, I, I guess, sanitize things and to try to pretend that stuff that occurred did not occur. I think it is important to have a conversation about race in this country. There's just no question about it. Um, And when you look at great literature, and Mockingbird would be one of the classic examples of that, this is where that that conversation uh, occurs. I, I don't think you can understand where we are in this country without understanding where we were in this country 150 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, for good or ill. And when you have great pieces of literature that tell stories, and I think for most of us, if you look at the the racial slurs, and they are slurs which are used in a book like To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, we, we could, I think, understand and all agree that that would be inappropriate in today's day and age but you know this was language that was used in the times and to me you know what better place to have this conversation than in books you know like that and you know taught on a high school level where you can say okay this is the way people taught you know this is what it is this idea that um again this is oppressive language for our kids and this could make some people feel uncomfortable again i would be really really questioning about, all right, is, you mean to tell me that this is the first time that some of these kids have heard the word? And I'll tell you something, I think it would be much better to have this dialogue in the context of a school setting where you have a great piece of literature like Mockingbird than, oh, well, these are the same kids who they, they feel oppressed when they read this word in a book, but yes, you're out, you're listening to rap music or you're listening to some of the comedians where this is every third word that's used. Um, I mean, it's in the, the double standard 
standard that's out there. And the fact that you have some of these administrators who just kind of, you know, freak out about this. Um, let's see. Chris and Slinger sends me an email. Glad you're talking about this. My wife and I were in the Northwoods all last week, and the only news available was KBJR6 on the range out of Duluth, and I saw the story covered. I remember one of the teachers saying that there needed to be discussion about race, but it can be handled in different ways. It is really too bad. Eventually, these great books will fade out of curriculums around the country, and the softening of our next generations will continue. Again, it's just... It's just so frustrating to me that you have these efforts to try to sanitize history and then essentially ban. And I understand they're not saying you can't read it, but they're saying it's no longer going to be required reading. We're no longer going to teach this because some people are offended by this. Let's talk to 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bob in Wauwatosa. Hi, Bob. I was saying that apparently in Duluth they have never listened to rap records at all yeah. if, if the the mere word right that word them. right yeah yeah I mean exactly where every third word or or watched you know a, a number of the comedians that are out there nowadays that do their stuff or turned on cable TV that, that Hamlet one of the great plays of all time that we're all taught in, in high school has a a word relating to the people who used to live on the south side of Milwaukee right. referring to their right. prowess in battle Right, we're not going to go, right, I know what word you're using, right, right, don't need it, don't need to say it, but I know what word you're going about, right. And and that was a word that was used in Shakespeare's time, and, you know, again, I don't think, I've I've never heard any offense to it taken uh, when I was in school. Right, but it is, it's, this is the, thanks to call, and this is the problem you have with people who, uh, again, are looking for things to be offended about. I mean, if... (laughs) How can you, I mean, if you want to have a dialogue about, like, race relations and you want to have a dialogue about the way, you know, people were treated and you want to get a feeling for, you know, how things might have been in this country back, you know, in the the post-Depression South, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird is the classic example of where you end up, you know, doing this. Um, Matt and Prairie de Sac sends me an email. They're depriving their students of an introduction to one of the greatest novels ever written. It's sad. The kids will have to find it themselves. Well, yeah, they're going to have to find it themselves. All right. When we come back, some comments on no, there's no crying in baseball, and it appears that there's going to be no baseball in Waukesha for the foreseeable future. Stick around. It's 222. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. After a rough day on the range, a feller can get a bit saddle sore. That's why I use Blue Emu Original Super Strength Cream. It works fast and penetrates deep to soothe my tired muscles and joints. And he don't stink. And I'll tell you one thing. I had no idea this stuff was so darn handy. Blue Emu Original Super Strength Cream. Available at all major retailers. It works fast for long-lasting soothing of tired muscles and joints. And you won't stink. As a small business owner, you're juggling it all, including customers' calls from your personal phone. But with Grasshopper, you get a business phone number and a business phone system from our mobile app so you can work smarter, not harder. Grasshopper forwards calls, texts, even transcribes voicemails. Everything you need to simplify your business and stay responsive. With Grasshopper, there's no long-term contracts and customer support is 24-7. Whether you're starting or growing your business, Grasshopper is the answer. Now get $20 off your first month when you visit grasshopper.com radio. 
Gene Miller here for Hometown Windows and Doors. That's Hometown with an E for your every window and door need. Hometown Windows and Doors is celebrating 10 years. That's 10 years of personalized service from the start to the end of your project. 10 years of quality employee installation. They care. This is the time of year when many folks start thinking about their home improvement needs and going to home improvement shows. In fact, just a few years ago, around this time, I was one of those folks. Hometown Windows and Doors has the area largest selection installed by their own employee carpenters they've got more sizes styles and finishes than you can imagine it's like going to a home show every day you can see all of their options in life-size displays inside their beautiful showroom in new berlin Contact my friends at Hometown Windows and Doors. They carry the top brands like Pella, Marvin, and Anderson. Visit their open house this Saturday. Call 414-329-1200 to experience the hometown difference. That's 414-329-1200. Twenty-four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, a number of people are saying you're going to comment on, on Ed Flynn's last day. Commented a lot about stuff about Ed Flynn over the years, and, and actually, no, I, I I wish the chief well. I, I my description of him, and I've seen a number of police chiefs come and go over the years. Um, I, again, I think he started out with a lot of promise, and I, I think unfortunately, what happened is. He got he sort of got caught up in the politics of it, and I think he, for a variety of reasons, he ended up losing a lot of his independence, and I think he kind of became, uh, again, a, a spokesperson for the mayor in many respects. And I, I have to believe, I think over the years, you know, some of the things that he was saying, especially about, well, you know, we've got this crime problem in Milwaukee, and like, tying it into concealed carry and things like that, it was just foolish. And a lot of people saw that, and I think he lost a lot of respect because I think he was trying to actively curry favor with the mayor for whatever reasons there was, and I think that ended up hurting him. Um, Candidly, as with so many officials, I think he had a couple good ideas in the beginning, came in with a bunch of promise, and then just the job sort of overwhelmed him, and the problems in the community overwhelmed him. The, The one aspect of his legacy that is going to haunt Milwaukee for a number of years was the 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 well-intentioned but dumb and immediately failed policy of the police chases. I mean, I understand back in 2010, they became concerned where after a couple police chases resulted in, in people being injured. And I get it. So they adopted this rule, which essentially made it impossible under almost all circumstances for police officers to be able to chase people. The word got out. And then, you know, what we saw was this just explosion of people running from the police. It was frustrating for rank and file officers. It was dangerous for citizens and it was just a failed policy and one of the failings of ed flynn was his his arrogance and his ego would not allow him to admit that he had made a mistake and there's see we all make mistakes there, there's nothing wrong with making a mistake there's nothing wrong with saying okay we had this policy so that's why you know we, we were concerned about this we've changed you know and so we made this change but now we see that this is this is what has happened as a result of this. So we're going back to, you know, what we used to do or, you know, devoting or changing the policy to what it is now, which makes it easier for cops to follow people who run from him. He should have done that five months in. But because of his ego and the arrogance and the how dare anybody 
tell me how to do my job. We went through years and years and years of this, and now you have this culture, a generation of wannabe criminals and thugs and gangsters who've been raised to believe that you can run from the police. And unfortunately, that's going to be one of the legacies. I I also think the handling of the whole Dontre Hamilton thing was just a debacle from the beginning. But in general, Ed Flynn had a tough job. I think he did the best he could. I, I think if you look at his legacy, it was good starting out, and then he kind of lost it as time went on. I wish him well in retirement. The question becomes, you know, who are you going to end up getting to replace him? Because there's all sorts of political people that are out there. Everybody's got their own different agenda. The mayor is very, very weakened. So, you know, who knows, you know, how much power he's going to have on this. You've got the mess at the Fire and Police Commission where you've got the executive director who might have her own conflict of interest and might be in trouble herself. It's just a very tumultuous time in the city's history. And that's why whoever whoever gets appointed to be the police chief, the Fire and Police Commission and the mayor, they've got to get this one right. And candidly, I've seen nothing coming from the Fire and Police Commission telling me that they're going to be able to get the permanent, the permanent chief right. But we will see. Hey, one final thought. I wish I had a little bit more time to talk about this. The Northwoods Baseball League, which it's not professional baseball. It's basically college players. You've got the uh, Lakeshore Chinooks who play up at, uh, in, up in, in Mequon. Um, you know, wonderful. It's a lot of fun. I've been to Chinooks games and all. The One of the outfits that owns a bunch of these Northwoods teams wanted to go into Waukesha, and they wanted to have a TIF district created uh, to fund all these improvements to the baseball stadium at Frame Park with the idea that you'd put a, a baseball team, a Northwoods baseball team, in Waukesha. Always very controversial. And it appears right at the moment that even the people that were pushing this, they've now tabled this. Um, if you want to know how to feel about it, you should feel that this is – I'm a big baseball fan, don't get me wrong – but this one had disaster written all over it. First of all, a lot of these teams in the Northwood Leagues don't don't make money. They're not successful necessarily. And in Milwaukee, where you've got the Brewers that are so close to Waukesha, would there really be interest in minor league baseball? I think that's a huge question as well. So they've now put this proposal on the table. I think from the perspective of the taxpayers of Waukesha, delaying this, maybe killing it, is probably the way to go. All right. We've got Pop Culture Corner coming up. We're going to have some fun this week. I think we all need it. It's 2.30. Before that, though, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Eric Bilstadt. Thirteen Russian nationals have been indicted. The defendants are accused of violating U.S. criminal laws to interfere with the U.S. presidential election. This indictment does not include any American participants. The FBI admits it dropped the ball on a tip about the school shooter in Florida. According to the Bureau, it received a tip in January about the shooter and the danger the shooter was providing. The Bureau failed to act on it. 17 people killed at Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida this week. A group of high school students in Florida walked out of class today to protest gun violence after that mass shooting. Here at home, we appear to be seeing some copycat artists. School threats in Wisconsin have led to two arrests. 
teenager in Oak Creek, another teenager in Fitchburg were both taken into custody for making threats. Also in Whitefish Bay, police had to talk to a middle school student there for making a threat, and Nicolet received a threat, too, that was not deemed credible. And the tents are up outside Miller Park for Arctic Tailgate. The single-game season tickets go on sale tomorrow. It's a tradition, of course. Many fans already out waiting for tomorrow to come. Time for the WTMJ Drakken Associates market update. Right now, the Dow is up now again. It's up 109 to 25,309. The NASDAQ is up 4 to 72.61. The S&P up 9 to 27.40. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. 94 outbound from downtown to the zoo is going to take you about eight minutes, so you're starting to see some congestion there from the zoo to Highway 16 is another 10. That's on time. 4145 southbound from Highway Q to the zoo is looking good at 15. 43 outbound from downtown to Brown Deer Road is a 12-minute ride. That's okay. 43 inbound, you're seeing some delays getting into the city now. Not dramatic, but you are on the brakes just a touch getting in. 94 outbound from the Marquette Interchange to Layton. That is clear. That's going to take you seven minutes, so that means it's on time. The WTMJ five-day forecast. Sunny and cooler today, a high of 30. Tonight, clear, a low of 17. Saturday, cloudy with a chance for snow late tomorrow. Not very much, less than an inch, a high of 34. Sunday, partly cloudy, a high of 40. Monday, cloudy with rain, a high of 45. Tonight, cloudy with a chance, or I'm sorry, Tuesday, a chance for rain that maybe will turn to snow, a high of 37. Right now in Milwaukee, 27 degrees. <laughs> I'm Eric Bilstead. You did it again. I did it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, that! Oh, that was the, the theatrical <laughs> thing. Yes, it's just well, for you. We need to get you. We're, get, we're we're getting ready to do Facebook Live for Pop Culture Corner. We need to. People should see these theatrical flourishes <laughs> that that Eric Bilstadt's got rocking on on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, it is that time we put away the heavy lifting and we have a little bit of fun. Pop Culture Corner. We need some fun this week. We live stream this on Facebook, and Dan Dan, the social media man, he's here right now. So we're going to be going up in just a second. You can go uh, Facebook.com, 620WTMJ. You can see what we all look like. You might even be able to see Eric Bilstadt with his theatrical flourishes as he reads the weather in the background. Um, Pop Culture Corner is coming right up. It's 233. This is Jeff Wagner. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, there's a bill moving through the state legislature which would allow Wisconsin cities and counties to go after habitual parking offenders by putting one of those Denver boots on their vehicles. Um, What this would do is if you're a habitual parking violator, meaning you have five or more unpaid, non-moving traffic violations over the course of like a year and a half, and you haven't paid these tickets, what you could do is you could they could put this this boot on your vehicle so you couldn't move it until until the things are paid. Now let me just say this. First of all, I, I have no problem at all allowing like places like the city of Milwaukee to crack down on, on people by immobilizing the cars. Here's the problem though. Here's the problem. You put this boot on the car and then it, it stays there and it stays there and it stays there and the people are still taking the parking space. Now as far as I'm concerned, tow the things and then, you know, make people have to pay to get them out. If you've got five or more parking tickets, haul them away. Now, I understand this bill also allows for towing, impoundment, and, and ultimately disposal, which would be forfeiture of vehicles owned by these habitual parking violators. No sympathy at all for this. And so I guess I don't have a problem with the Denver boot on things, but I simpler answer is clear up the streets. If people aren't paying their tickets, tow the cars, keep them until they do pay. And if they don't, sell the cars. 
That's the bottom line. If you don't like that, well, don't amass a bunch of parking tickets that you don't pay. All right. We are now at the point in the week where we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about immigration and Russian interference in elections and, of course, the school shooting from two days ago. And we have a little bit of fun. And I was I was actually actually before Wednesday when I was thinking about this topic, I was going to do fish fries just because this is the start of Lent. And so, you know, the great fish fries and stuff. But candidly. I think we need to do something that is a little bit more fun. Um, last night, I was sitting down and I was talking to my wife, and we were just discussing just what a relentlessly, you know, how, how there's relentless bad news. And I, I think, like a lot of people, you just, every once in a while, you kind of need a, a lift. So I was actively, actively last night searching the TVs and the movie channels and things like that. I was looking for a movie to watch, but not just any movie. I was looking for a movie that would make me laugh. You know, just a great comedy, something that you can watch for 90 minutes or or two hours and just... You don't think about the stuff that's going on. You don't think about the horrible stuff that happened in Florida on Wednesday. You don't think about, like I say, the relentlessly bad bad news. Just a movie that makes you laugh. And that is Pop Culture Corner for today. 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. When you need need just to kind of kick back and have some fun and just – a movie that makes you laugh. And maybe it's going to be an intelligent sort of comedy that challenges you. Maybe it's just going to be something that's really just relentlessly stupid, but you can't help it. It makes you smile. A movie, the movie that you go to, your go-to movie that makes you laugh. 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Also, you can participate through our Facebook Live. It's facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We are live streaming it now, a movie that makes you laugh. And as I always advise people, please call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up during these segments. And uh, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink it. But let's have some fun on this Friday afternoon. Back with your calls and your texts and your comments on Facebook in just a moment. 239, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. We're in the Pop Culture Corner segment. I thought we needed to lighten it up this week, and I'm going on vacation next week, so we'll have some fun. The movies that make you laugh. I was looking for a movie that made me laugh last night. Let's start with, let's see, Tom, who's calling us from Illinois. Tom, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Very well, thank you. The movie that makes you laugh. Planes, trains, and automobiles. And I think John Candy... <laughs> Should have gotten an Oscar for that role in that movie. How, how, how about and Steve Martin too? How about them Bears? <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. I, I just yeah that that oh no you could I mean thanks you could planes trains and automobiles you could just do so many lines and the great thing about planes trains and automobiles with the late John Candy and, and Steve Martin is it also it's funny as heck but it also at the end it, it's kind of a it's it's got a a point to it too and it's kind of a moving picture as well i i love planes trains and automobiles 414-799-1620 dave in greendale dave you're on wtmj hello hey guy what do you think book the uh, movie that makes movie you laugh for me was animal house that <laughs> was great with john belushi um a- actually last night when i was looking for a movie that makes me laugh animal house was the one i settled on i, <laughs> I i've probably seen it 250 times i can do almost all the lines yeah. i never ever get tired of it 
There you go. No, animal. I mean, it's just, I remember when I first saw it, I thought it was funny as heck, and my opinion has not changed. 414-799-1620, William in Milwaukee. William, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. The movie that makes you laugh. Well, this is a tough time, but if you want to take a break from this, uh, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> it, uh, it just makes me laugh every time I see it. You know, what, what's so amazing to me about the, the, the Mel Brooks movie, Blazing Saddles, you could not make that movie today. I mean, it 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 right, it yeah. offends all. I mean, it's it's designed to like play on every stereotype imaginable, from race to sexuality or whatever. You couldn't make that movie today. But you know what? It is just funny as heck because it, it just it pokes fun at, at everybody. Now, thank all right. No, thanks Stop for calling. It again, of course, and of course, any movie with the late great Alex Karras, how how can that go wrong? Playing Mongo. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, the movie that makes you laugh. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi Jeff. Um I love the show. Thanks. Um what about Bob with Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfus? Um, you know, it, it it's amazing how many um on our text lines and stuff, how many people are saying, What about Bob? Yeah, with yes. yeah. Um, you know, Bill. You know, it's funny. A little bit of Bill Murray goes a long way with me, but he's great in that role. He he's oh, really he is. is. Yeah, he's f- fabulous. The movie's funny all the way through, beginning to end. Which is one of the things that you're looking for. Yeah, what a lot of people are, are suggesting. You know, what about Bob? Let's see. Um, this is our text line. The Great Outdoors. Yeah, another one with. Uh, you know, whenever you've got, whenever you got. John Candy, you know, you, you can't go wrong with that. And you can't mention, of course, we've got a number of texts, you can't mention Animal House without mentioning the movie that they made afterwards. It wasn't quite as successful, but still works, which is Caddyshack, um, which is, you know, of course, one of the, the tour de forces with Rodney Dangerfield. I Actually, I was... I. I had a little bit of time the other day, and actually I didn't have time, but I was kind of like playing around, and I get distracted, which is what happens from time to time. And I ended up on YouTube watching some of these old videos of, of Rodney Dangerfield and his routine from you know his heyday back in the, the, the 70s and all. Honest to goodness. I mean, it was just laugh out loud funny. Just no question about it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The movie that makes you laugh. Steve in Sturdivant. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. It makes you laugh. The movie Dumb and Dumber. Whenever I need a great laugh, i got to go to Dumb and Dumber. The character that Jim Carrey portrays is just yeah. hilarious to me. Are you, in general, a Jim Carrey fan? I like a few movies of this, but it's just the that character and Dumb and Dumber just just puts it over the top. It's hilarious to me. Um, thank yeah. That that's uh, yes. That's I, I it's, again. A, Jim Carrey, a little bit of Jim Carrey goes a long way with me. I thought he was great in the Andy Kaufman thing, The Man on the Moon. Um, but but Dumb and Dumber is one of kind of that slapstick sort of thing, and and Jim Carrey I think works really really well in that movie. Let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. You know it's a dumb movie, but uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And oh. my daughter turned me onto that, and I'll tell you what, it's just it's so dumb that it's funny <laughs> well there's nothing wrong with that i mean some sometimes you just need to find one of those kind of senseless sort of mindless movies that you kind of watch and you go oh, that's kind of clever or that's cute or that just makes you laugh sometimes we need that in our life uncle rico 
Uh, yeah, th- thanks for the call. Um, let's see. A number of people, um, we were talking about Mel Brooks with Blazing Saddles. A, a number of people are both texting and sending in notes and emailing me saying Young Frankenstein, or is it Young Frankenstein? Uh, Milwaukee native Gene Wilder, the late Gene Wilder, uh, one of, you know, one of his tour de forces as well, along with a couple other movies. But that, I mean, that was those two movies, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein with, um, Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein, with uh, Gene Wilder and Terry Garr, um, Peter Boyle. Th- those th- those were Mel uh, Brooks at his finest. Let's talk to Linda in Oconomowoc. Hi, Linda. Hi. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. The movie that makes you laugh. It's a depressing week. You just want to have some fun. What movie do you fire up? I don't care what season it is of the year, National Lampoon's Family Vacation. Okay, you're talking about the original vacation movie. Yes. Yeah, where they're heading to Wally World. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's... No, well, it, it's right. You just think about that. Now, so thanks for the call. I, I am a huge vacation fan. You got Beverly D'Angelo. You got Chevy Chase. Uh, some of the other movies. Um, the, the second one, European Vacation, I didn't think was very good. The Las Vegas Vacation wasn't very good. Christmas Vacation was 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 fine. I mean, for what it was, but I I agree with you. The the original and there, you know that's another one of these movies where you just you know what the scenes are, you know what's coming up, and still you laugh as they're heading to Wally World. Um, let's see. Let's talk to Fred in Beaver Dam. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. What movie makes you laugh? Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> okay, I, I, I mean, the, the mu- now, the, the Paint Your Wagon movie, of course, they thought it was a good idea to cast Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood in a musical. <laughs> it, it worked, let me tell you, it is funny. It, it's, it's, yeah, no, thanks, I mean, it's, okay, it, it's interesting, Paint Your Wagon, it, it, it is, it's a funny thing, and Lee Marvin's character is, is great, and and I like the whole story behind Paint Your Wagon. I just my problem is Clint Eastwood can't sing, and Lee Marvin really can't sing. And I like Clint Eastwood a lot, and I like Lee Marvin a lot. It's just putting him in a musical. I always thought was an interesting sort of choice. Let's talk to Kevin in Mequon. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hello. My movie is The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I a classic, just an absolute and total classic. Um, are you one of those guys that has seen that movie like fifty times? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, Jeff uh, Jeff Bridges. I mean, it's just that that's just the classic role of uh, you know that he, he's the dude. There's no question. He just inhabits yeah. that role. <laughs> no, thanks again. Yes, absolutely. No, it it, it works. I mean, anytime. Anytime you've got, you can make a, a funny movie about bowling. Well, you, you gotta, you just gotta love it. Let's talk to Tim in Milwaukee. Tim, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tim. Movie that makes me laugh nonstop is Hollywood Nights. Kind of a poor man's American Graffiti. It came out after yeah. American Graffiti with uh, with Tony Danza, right? The the guy who went, yeah. yeah, Tony Danza, right? Right. Well, you look at the list of actors that's in that movie: Tony Danza, Robert Wall, Michelle Pfeiffer, Fran Drescher. I mean, none of these people were even known then. Right. And it's still drop dead funny every time I watch it. Yeah, it is. I mean, thanks. I I actually I remember Hollywood Nights. Like I say, it came out after American Graffiti. It was kind of American American Graffiti, not you know, knockoff. You know, a night in the life of these kids, and it's. 
it I mean there's I remember that there's some funny scenes it's one of Tony Danza's first things as well all right let's see we've got uh, Greg in St. Francis Greg you're on WTMJ hello my favorite or one of my favorites is uh, Three Strooges the movie okay now is that a new one is that is that in the last few years yes it is okay it's, uh, I, it's, it's a movie that I, I, I didn't think it would meet my expectations right uh, my children got me the whole complete set of the original Stooges right got like nine CDs in it right and um, it, it really did uh, meet my expectations I mean from the scenes where Larry's going down the ladder with a chainsaw running and cuts the rungs and, <laughs> right and uh, the uh, uh, as a matter of fact something I like to point out to people the first episode of the Stooges ever, uh, was the complete v- uh, verbal was in rhyme. Oh, so, okay. Okay, so if you're a Stooges fan, i, I got to ask you the big question. It's kind of like the Ginger and Marianne question. All right, sure. um, Shemp or Curly? Who was the better? Absolutely who was the better? Thir- Absolutely who? Curly. Yeah, Shemp I agree. Right. Uh, I, I, Larry Joe was probably the third. <laughs> right, okay. I, I see that. That's I, I agree with you. I mean, Shemp was fine, but... But but Curly, who was the first of the Stooges, uh, the first part of the original group, um, absolutely got to go with that. Let's talk to uh, let's see, Marsha in Brandon. Marsha, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. My all-time favorite movies are any of the Pink Panther movies with Peter Sellers. Oh, any of them, huh? Any of them. love them. Uh, Peter Sellers was. A strange awesome. guy, but an incredible talent. <laughs> There's no he question really about was. it. He really was. He can definitely make you laugh. Um, uh, yeah, the, I, I, the, right. And, of course, I mean, I never, I, I kind of thought, she said any of them. I, I think they kind of ran out of steam a little bit, but several of them were good. Um, airplane, yes, I'm looking at some of our text lines. No question about it. And I actually watched a part of this movie the other day. Okay, I'm a dog lover. The other day you had the uh, Westminster Dog Show. We didn't talk about that this week. Too much other. Oh, yes. What was there? Oh, all this other stuff going on in the world. But I, I was watching part of the Westminster Dog Show. And, of course, you, you can't think of that without thinking of one of the greatest satire movies ever, Best in Show with Christopher Guest. I mean, if you've never seen Best in Show, it is an absolute spot-on spoof of dog shows, and, and I think it's just absolutely tremendous. And, of course, you know, that, that's by the people that did uh, Spinal Tap, which is a great absolute spot-on spoof of, um, you know, of the uh, of, of other things as well, of, of rock bands. I'm sorry. We're kind of out of time. John McCure's on the road. He's um, So we, I want to make sure we get enough time to throw it to him. He's at Kegels in uh, West Dallas. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. The Russians are coming. Birdcage. It's a mad, mad world. Clue. Airplane. The movie. Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of them. For me, like I say, my go-to movie is still Animal House, but there's a lot of great ones that are out there. All right, it's 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John has on his mind. Please stick around, and thanks for participating in this week's Pop Culture Corner.